0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie a fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. thank you as always for listening. I have just two parts for you today. In part one, I will preview our match on Saturday against Sassuolo, And in part two, I'll get you caught up on all the latest news around Napoli, which at this time of year is mostly transfer rumors. So let's begin with the match against Sassuolo on Saturday. Sassuolo come into this match sitting 10th in the table. Their form has declined somewhat of late, having lost three of their last four matches. They lost 2-1 to Lazio before beating Atalanta 2-1. Then they lost their last two matches against Cagliari and Juventus, respectively. Nevertheless, it has still been an excellent year for Alessio Dionisi in his first campaign with Sassuolo. He joined Sassuolo after leading Empoli to a Serie B title last season. That earned him the honor of Serie B coach of the year. Of course, Dionisi replaced Roberto de Zerbi, who was in charge at Sassuolo for three seasons before he accepted a position with Shakhtar Donetsk. Shakhtar were top of the table in the Ukrainian top flight. Before the season was cancelled due to the war in Ukraine. The important thing though is that Dzerbi and his staff were able to get out of Ukraine safely. But to put Dionisi's performance into perspective. Sassuolo finished 11th in the league in Dzerbi's first campaign in charge. And then they finished in 8th in back to back season. So Sassuolo really haven't missed a beat since Dionisi took over. And that's after they loaned Manuel Locatelli to Juventus last summer. And Jeremy Boga to Atalanta this winter. Both of those players were loaned with obligations to buy. Now, while the Zerbi and Dionisi have both been excellent, Sassuolo's success is largely due to the work of club CEO Giovanni Carnevali, his sporting director Carlo Rossi and their scouting team. Carnevali will be the first to tell you that he's been with Sassuolo for 9 years and Sassuolo have been in Serie A for 9 seasons but he has every right to brag about that. Sassuolo have done some really smart business in the Mercato. They always seem to sell players at their peak value, guys like Stefano Sensi and Matteo Politano to Inter, and more recently, Locatelli to Juventus to Atalanta. They're also good at finding young talent. They bought Locatelli from Milan when he was 20 years old and sold him for a massive profit. As it turns out, They bought Locatelli's replacement even before they bought Locatelli himself. They bought Davide Fratesi from Roma's Primavera team in 2017, loaned him first to Empoli and then to Ascoli, and now he's starting in Locatelli's place. They bought Jeremy Boga from Chelsea for 10 million euros, and even after his value declined, they still sold him to Atalanta for 22 million euros. They pulled the trigger on that deal because they knew they had Hamid Jr. Traore ready to take his place. Chicho Caputo, who scored 32 goals and added 15 assists over two seasons for Sassuolo, was sold to Sampdoria at the age of 34. It wasn't a huge sale, but they knew that they had Gianluca Scamacca coming back from a successful loan spell at Genoa. They also happened to have a talented youngster coming through their system by the name of Giacomo Raspadori. Sassuolo reinforced the midfield by purchasing Maxime Lopez on the cheap from Marseille, and now he is a regular starter and he's linked to a number of clubs, that group of youngsters, along with their rock-at-right-wing Domenico Berardi, will keep Sassuolo's finances sorted for many years to come. The way Sassuolo have scouted, I wouldn't be surprised if, in a few years, players like Jeremy Toljan, Mert Muldur, Martin Ehrlich, Lucas Harazlin, and Mateus Henrique are all linked to top clubs. With all of this young talent, including a young coach who has maintained the very progressive brand of football that the Zerbi instilled at the club, it's no surprise that Sassuolo are the definition of a bogey club. They can beat any club on their day, but they can also lose to any club on their off day. They have a tendency to play to their opponent's level. If you look at their results over the course of this season, they are all over the map. This season alone, they beat Juve, Milan, Lazio, Inter, Fiorentina, and Atalanta, but they've also dropped points to clubs near the bottom of the table. They drew Genoa in both meetings this season, they drew Salernitana, and they collected only one point over two matches against both Cagliari and Sampdoria. In other words, they've dropped 16 points to the bottom five teams in the table. Now, despite our recent performances, we are obviously not a bottom five team, so maybe those results are less relevant to us. I'm sure many fans of the top teams in the league feel the same way, but Sassuolo always seems to play like 2010 Barcelona against us. The last time we beat Sassuolo was the return leg in the 2019-20 campaign. That was the game where El Cid Hisai and Alan somehow scored in the same match. Since then the results have been pretty dreadful, not just in terms of the final scores, but also in terms of how those matches played out. We didn't win either meeting against Sassuolo last season. We lost the first match against a Sassuolo side that was playing with Oberardi, Caputo, and Juricic. The second meeting finished 3-3. Of course, that was the crazy back-and-forth game where Manolas conceded a penalty in the fifth minute of stoppage time. And then earlier this season, we blew a 2-0 lead to draw 2-2. Again, we conceded a late goal. Gianmarco Ferrari scored a header in the 89th minute. In that match. So it's been a rough go against Asuolo of late. Frankly, it's been a rough go against everyone of late. I don't think anyone needs a reminder of how our recent matches have gone. As a result of our poor form, the club decided to go into Retiro this week, or so we thought. I touched on the Retiro last episode, but we got more detail after I recorded, so let me fill you in on the details. Immediately after the match, the club issued a statement saying that the club decided, starting from Tuesday, that the team will go into a permanent retreat. Now, a lot of people had a good laugh at this notion of a permanent retreat, including myself, retiro Permanente. It sounded like the players were never going to see their families again, but I think the idea was that the retreat would be indefinite. Now, the statement said that the club made this decision, which of course implies that the manager was not involved. And we know from the mutiny a few seasons ago what can happen when the club undermines its coach. So a few hours later, the club issued another statement clarifying that the decision to go into ritiro was actually made by Spalletti and was supported by the club. Then the following morning, the club issued another statement saying that instead of a full retreat, they would quote integrate the training schedule, which apparently meant that De Laurentiis would attend the training sessions and players and staff would get together for two dinners, one on Tuesday and another on Thursday. Now, apparently, that was really because all of the hotels had been booked for the week. So that just sums up how things have been going in Napoli lately. I'll talk more about De interviews with Kiss Kiss and Sky Sport in part two, but in the interviews, he did clarify that the traditional retreat is an archaic idea, even though we've done it pretty much every season and that he simply reacted in the heat of the moment. He said it's better to get together for food and good wine. De said there were four tables of players, and he and Spalletti went around speaking to everyone, exchanging ideas. Maybe he's full of it, but I don't get the impression that this retreat was meant to be a punishment. Even if it was, as far as punishments go, fine dining in Napoli really isn't so bad. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Dionisi will line up in a 4-2-3-1 with Andrea Concili in goal. I think we'll see Gianmarco Ferrari and Vlad Kirikes start at centre-back. Khan Ahan features every now and then, but Kiriches is a regular starter, and as I said, Ferrari scored in the first meeting, so I think Ahan will start on the bench. Giorgio Kiriakopoulos was dismissed after the final whistle in the Juventus match, so we'll probably see Rogerio start at left-back. Jeremy Tolian has fractured his collarbone, so Merta Muldur will start at right-back. Maxime Lopez and Davide Fratesi will likely start in the double pivot. That is a very attack-minded pivot, which is why Sassuolo create a lot of chances, but also concede a lot of chances. The front four are pretty much set in stone. In all likelihood, Hamid Jr. Traore will start on the left wing, Domenico Berardi will start on the right wing, Giacomo Raspadori will play in the 10 and Gianluca Scamacca will play at striker. For Napoli, I think Luciano Spalletti will line up in a 4-2-3-1 again. After Alex Meret's blunder against Empoli, I think we will see Davido Spina back in goal. He has recovered from the flu that kept him out last week. Kalidou Koulibaly returns from suspension, so he will start alongside Amir Rachmani at centre-back. Mario Rui will start again at left-back, and I think we'll see Alessandro Zanoli start again at right-back. I know he didn't play well against Empoli, but he was dealing with a bout of stomach flu, so I'm willing to give him a free pass. He certainly wasn't as bad as Kevin Malqui. Now, there was no mention of Di Lorenzo in this week's training reports, which usually suggests that he completed the full group training. However, I think he will miss one more match before returning to the starting eleven. I do think he will be available as a substitute, though. The midfield is the most difficult for me to predict. On one hand... You would expect Spalletti to start Mertens in the 10 again because he was one of the few players who actually played well against Empoli. However, if he plays Mertens there, he will have to use a double pivot and Angisa and Fabian were both really poor in the Empoli match. If they were to play like that again against Sassuolo, we are going to concede a lot of goals. Unfortunately, Stanislav Lobotka is still doing custom work on the pitch, so I do not expect him to start. The alternative would be to play a 4-3-3, but if we do that, then we cannot play Mertens in the number 10. I'm going to go out on a limb and say we play a 4-2-3-1 with Diego Demis starting over Fabian Ruiz in that double pivot just to provide a little bit more security in the midfield. I think the front four will remain unchanged. Lorenzo Insigne will start on the left. Chuki Lozano will start on the right. Dries Mertens will play in the 10 and Victor Osimhen will start at striker. In terms of substitutes, Adam Unes has picked up the flu now. It seems like it's going around in the locker room, so he will likely not be in the squad. Matteo Politano should be in the squad, but I have a theory about him, which I'll get to in part two. So those are the starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is we need to play this match like we actually give a damn because, frankly, for the last little while, we haven't played like a team that cares all that much. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying they don't actually care. I know that most players at this level are ultra-competitive. If you recall, when we spoke to Gianluca Segezza on Forza Napoli Worldwide, he talked about playing a friendly game of beach volleyball with a few players, and they were super competitive even for that. So, I know that these guys are very, very competitive, but it's not translating on the field at the moment. Michele from Get Napoli Tickets has talked about this on his show in the Shadow of Vesuvio. He noted that we didn't take a single shot on target during the seven minutes of stoppage time in the Roma game after they equalized, and then the same thing happened after Empoli went ahead last match. And for Michele, that's not because the players don't want to win, it's because the players simply have no idea what to do in that situation which is on the coach. Now that's probably true, it is the coach's job to prepare the players for all situations. Personally, I still think that loss is on the players for conceding the three goals with so little time left, and I find it hard to believe that Spalletti wouldn't have prepared his players to defend the lead, but regardless of who we blame, we did not close those two matches the way you would expect a team fighting for a Scudetto to close those matches we should have thrown caution to the wind and sent everybody forward to score in both of those matches, but we didn't do anything even remotely close to that. I suspect that's why De Laurentiis apologized to Napoli fans in his interview with Kiss Kiss. Whether that apology was entirely genuine, I'm not so sure. We all know De Laurentiis is trying to fill seats at the Maradona. It doesn't appear to be working, though. Ticket sales for this match have reportedly been quite poor, which is a pretty clear indication that the fans have given up on this season. De Laurentiis wants to see more effort from the players as well. He commented on that saying our players look tired against Empoli. I don't know if it was fatigue or lack of effort. In the case of Anguissa, it seemed like the latter to me. My second key to the match is we need to watch out for Mertemuldur's runs down the right wing. He loves to join in the attack which creates a numerical advantage for Sassuolo. It also allows Berardi to drift inwards to the middle, and we know how dangerous Berardi can be with his left foot. Muldur and Berardi basically do the same thing that Mario Rui and Lorenzo Insigne do on our left wing. The only difference is Berardi is having another fantastic season for Sassuolo, while Insigne is having one of his worst seasons. Muldur doesn't score a lot of goals. In fact, he hasn't scored a single goal this season. However, he does have a decent shot on him and that front four of Raspadori, Traore, Berardi, and Scamacca will be lurking in the area for rebounds. Insignia will be tasked with tracking back to help defend, which means he is going to be doing a lot of running. That means he probably won't contribute a whole lot in the attack, and he probably won't play the full 90 minutes. Fortunately, Elif Elmas completed the full group training on Thursday, so he should be available as a substitute. And that leads me to my third key to the match. With Insigne spending a lot of time in our own end, we'll need Lozano and Osiman to carry the bulk of the attacking threat. Though he's had a rough season, Lozano has looked pretty good of late. In fact, in both the Roma and the Empoli matches, the quality of our play seemed to decline dramatically after he was removed from the match. Of course, Lozano's most dangerous weapon is his pace. That's even more useful playing alongside Victor when Lozano's not on the field. No one can keep up with Victor, so when we play the long ball forward, he's often isolated against multiple defenders. My hope, however, is that we don't continuously resort to the long ball as much as we have lately. I talked about this as well last episode, but we seem to have gotten away from what worked well for us in the first half of the season. We've become far too dependent on the long ball, so I'd like to see some patterns of play in the midfield. I'd like to see us score goals by passing the ball around rather than this dump and chase approach to borrow a term from hockey. I mentioned the space that Sassuolo will leave on the field. If there is ever a match to pass the ball around, this is the one. For my prediction, I'm gonna try something different. I predicted wins in each of our last three matches and we didn't win a single one. So instead, I'm going to predict a 2-2 draw. For Napoli, I'll give the goals to Insignia and Lozano. And for Sassuolo, I'll give the goals to Traore and Scamacca. Perhaps with a low attendance at the Maradona, this match might feel more like an away match than a home match, which could work out better for us. Curiously, both of these teams have better away records than home records, which doesn't exactly bode well for us. Now, we do still have plenty to play for. Inter's loss to Bologna midweek might have given us a glimmer of hope of winning the Scudetto, Personally, I think it's still out of reach. We're currently 7 points back of Milan and 5 points back of Inter with 4 matches left to play. That means, assuming we win out, which is clearly not a given, we need Milan to lose 2 matches and draw 1. Even with Milan's difficult schedule, I think that's pretty unlikely. On top of that, we need Inter to lose 2 matches as well. So for me, the Scudetto's not happening At the same time, though, we haven't yet secured a Champions League position. Fiorentina lost their midweek fixture against Udinese, so now we basically need one win to guarantee ourselves Champions League next season. Roma are nine points back of us in fifth, and our goal differential is double theirs. So if we win this match, there's a good chance that even if we lose the next three, they will not catch us. For me, Champions League is now the priority and the expectation. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll get caught up on all the latest news. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Next, let's cover the latest news around Napoli. At this time of the year, almost all of the news around the club are transfer rumors, so that's what I'm going to focus on. As we've previously talked about, there will be a small revolution in the team this summer so there is no shortage of transfer rumors. I think the best way to tackle this is to go position by position now. The transfer rumors are really heating up so by the time you hear this I'm sure there will be a whole host of other players that we are linked to. Also I'll give you my thoughts on each position as we go through it so I'm not just going to report what you can read in the papers or on social media. So let's begin with the goalkeepers. This is probably the most up-in-the-air position for us. Up until recently, the club's plan was to make Alex Meret the number one of the future, but with his recent play, particularly the goal that he was at fault for against Empoli, his future at Napoli is now very much in doubt. Meret has been linked to a move to Torino, with Ivan Juric reportedly unhappy with the play of Vanya Milinkovic-Savic and Etrit Berisha, Meret has been linked to Latsu in the past as well, though I haven't seen that rumor in a little while now. Meanwhile, the papers have started to report that Napoli might make a last ditch effort to keep David Ospina, but there's been nothing from Ospina's camp to suggest that he will stay. As far as I can tell, an extension with Napoli is just speculation. I haven't seen any legitimate reports that suggest that Napoli will extend Ospina, quite the opposite. According to Calcio Napoli 24, Ospina has not received any offers from Napoli and he is negotiating with another club I wouldn't be surprised if Napoli hasn't made an offer because they know Ospina will want at least the same salary if not a higher one the Laurentiis has made it quite clear that he wants to reduce the wage bill and he's walked the talk he already has or will be shipping a lot of high wages other than Koulibaly who will probably renew at his current wage and perhaps Victor Osimen, all other big wage players are either being shipped off or reducing their wages. Manolas was sold, De Laurentiis didn't give in to Insignia's wage demands, Mertens will take a pay cut, Gulam will not be extended, and all of their replacements will be young players who command lower salaries. In his interview with Kiss Kiss, De Laurentiis said that Milan are doing what they are doing with an annual wage bill of 96 million euros while we are at 136 million. Ospina currently makes around 2.4 million euros a season And most likely, the club that he is most heavily linked to, being Real Madrid, will pay him more than that, even if they sign him to be a backup. So if Ospina leaves, and Meret potentially leaves, who will be our starter? Personally, I think the club is going to stick with Meret, which I know a lot of Napoli fans will not be too thrilled about. But hear me out. Meret currently has one year left on his contract. That one season would basically be his audition. If it goes well, perhaps the club extends his contract. Otherwise, his value is probably low and we just let him walk for free. In the meantime, we still need to sign another keeper because Davide Marfella is not good enough to be our backup. He may not even be good enough to be our third keeper. One option is to promote Hubert Idasek from the Primavera. I'd be fine with Idasek being the third keeper over Marfella or Contini, but I think it's a bit risky for him to be the backup. Meret suffered a couple of back injuries this season, so I'd feel very nervous about Idasiak playing as the starter if Meret got hurt again. But I do want to see Idasiak in the first team so that he can train with them for a season before he features. That means we'd have to purchase another keeper. One option that we've been linked to is Granada's Luis Maximiano. He certainly fits the model that De Laurentiis wants to use. He's 23 years old and he would only cost about 10 million euros. However, according to CalcioMercato.com, there would be competition from Lazio and perhaps even Fiorentina given their current goalkeeper situations. If it were up to me, I would just go out and purchase Alessio Cranio, but I suspect there will be too much competition for him and therefore he will be too expensive. So my prediction is we keep Meret, we sign Luis Maximiano or someone like him, young and inexpensive, to be the backup, and we promote Idasic to be the third keeper. Let's move on to the defenders next. This is probably the position where we have the most certainty. We know Koulibaly, Rachmani, and Di Lorenzo will still be at the club next season. I suspect Zanoli will remain the backup right back. I think he's played well enough to earn that position on the team. In all likelihood, we would not sign Axel Tuanzebe on a permanent basis, but so far I have not seen too many options for a fourth center back. One option is Hellas Verona center back Nicolo Casale. I think it goes without saying at this point that Malqui and Gulam will not be extended. Meanwhile, Mario Giuffredi told Radio Kiss Kiss this week that Mario Rui could look for a new experience next season. That's important because Giuffredi also said that he would not allow two of his clients who play in the same position to play for the same club. Giuffredi also happens to represent Empoli's Fabiano Parisi, so it seems the only way we will sign Parisi is if Mario Rui leaves. That will ultimately come down to what offers we get for Mario Rui. If we get a decent offer, we can pull the trigger on the sale and then try to purchase Parisi. At the same time, it seems that we are the front runners to acquire Matias Oliveira from Hitafe, so Oliveira and Parisi could be the two left backs to replace Mario Rui and Gulam. Let's move on to the midfield next. More than likely, Napoli will exercise its option to purchase Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa from Fulham for 15 million euros. The names that are being talked about the most are Fabian Ruiz and Piotr Zielinski. Personally, I think we will keep Zielinski just because of how versatile he is. Even if we offer Mertens a new contract, which I'll come to in a second, at 35 years of age, he won't be able to play every match, so we need another number 10. Zielinski can also play in the midfield in a 4-3-3, so if Oseman can't play for whatever reason, we can always start Mertens at striker and play Zielinski in the midfield. For me, Fabian is a player we absolutely must sell at this point. He has only one year left on his contract after this season and he avoids the question of an extension every time it's posed. I think he wants to return to Spain and I think there will be interest from Real Madrid. The question is, will we get a big enough offer to pull the trigger? That's something I'm not so sure about. Historically, the club sought 60 million euros for Fabian but I don't see us getting an offer that high. With only one year left on his contract. I think an offer somewhere in the range of 30 to 40 million euros is more realistic. What I'm most concerned about is Fabian's agent convincing him to play out his contract with Napoli. We've been seeing this more and more in the last few years. If you play out your contract and walk away for free, then the funds that would have gone towards a transfer fee could instead go towards the player's salary. I'm at a point where I'd rather sell Fabian for 30 million euros then keep him on for one more season. Now, some people might disagree with me on that, which is totally fine. I don't feel particularly strongly about that one way or the other. Now, if we are able to sell Fabian, then his replacement could well come from either Hellas Verona or Empoli. In that interview with Kiss Kiss, Giuffredi mentioned Antonin Barak as a possible replacement. Barak certainly wouldn't be cheap, and I think there could be competition for him. So while I think Barak is an excellent player, I'm not terribly optimistic that Napoli will make a move for him. Transfer guru Nico Skira says that Napoli have a good relationship with Empoli and are interested in two Empoli midfielders Christian Aslani and Nadim Bayrami and Skira also mentioned another Hellas Verona midfielder in Adrian Temeze. Let's close the transfer rumors with the forwards. There have been three big stories and one that's flown a little bit under the radar. Let's start with Victor Osimhen. According to Sky Sport, no Napoli player is untransferable, but Napoli will need at least 100 million euros to make this sale. They also note that there is interest from three Premier League clubs in Newcastle, Arsenal, and Manchester United. The most reliable source on anything to do with Victor Osimhen is his friend Oma Akatugba. He was interviewed by Caldronapoli24 and Oma said that Napoli would be happy to keep Victor and Victor would be happy to stay in the city. He said Victor would like to write a part of the history of the club like Edinson Cavani and Gonzalo Higuain did before him, but he also said that it is clear that one day Victor would not say no to an experience in the Premier League, so that could be a new destination. To me, it sounds like we have one season left with Victor, maybe two, and then he will head to the Premier League. As it stands, Arsenal are the only club of those three that are in a Champions League position, but they could yet be passed by Tottenham. Victor also declined the opportunity to play for Arsenal when he decided to play for Napoli. Now, perhaps Manchester United can make a late push for top four, but it seems unlikely that they will get in. Even if they do, the club is in a bit of a rebuild with Ralph Ragnick about to assume a consultant role and Eric Ten Hag coming in to be the new manager. I think, barring a catastrophic season next year, all of these clubs will still be interested in Victor at the end of next season. Meanwhile Napoli are on the verge of securing a berth in the Champions League so I think Victor is going to stick around for one more season before making a move abroad. If we do sell Victor there are a couple of players we've been linked to as possible replacements and I'm not convinced by any of them. One is Armando Broya who is currently at Southampton on loan from Chelsea. He seems like a very good player but Chelsea apparently want to evaluate him in the summer Given the impending sale of the club, I don't even know how we would transact with Chelsea, so I don't think that one is very likely. Another player we've been linked to is Sassuolo's Gianluca Scamacca. I don't like this option for a number of reasons. First and foremost, I don't think he is anywhere near the level of Victor Osimhen, so that would represent a decline in quality. Now, few players are as gifted as Victor, so that may be our fate regardless. But Sassuolo's starting asking price is 40 million euros. That seems a little bit steep to me. I think there would be other options if we're shopping in that price range. But most importantly, Scamacca wants to play for Inter. According to Alfredo Pedula, if Scamacca can't make a move to Inter, then he would be open to a move to Napoli. If that's true, I'm simply not interested in a player who thinks of us as his backup plan. I'd be far more interested in the two players that La Publica have reported Juntalia set his sights on. They are Martin Terrier and Sebastian Haller. Terrier has 21 goals for Rennes in Liga, which is second only to Kylian Mbappe. Haller has been tearing it up at Ajax for a little while now, so he would be great as well. But like I said, I don't think Victor is leaving this summer, so we can worry about his replacement next season. Another player that's been in the news is Dries Mertens. De Laurentiis was quite open in his interview with Kiss Kiss about Mertens. Reports had surfaced the day before that De Laurentiis spent about an hour at Mertens' home before the team dinner on Tuesday. That led to speculation that Mertens' contract will indeed be extended. De Laurentiis confirmed that he did go to Chiro's home, but it sounds like it was mostly to visit baby Chiro. De Laurentiis says that he has the blue of Napoli in his eyes and that he gave baby Ciro a pendant with the images of Vesuvio on it. He joked that baby Ciro has the same energy as his father. Now, he didn't confirm that Mertens has been extended, but he said they spoke about the contract and he is optimistic about Mertens' permanence. There's that word again, permanence. He told Mertens to let him know when he wants to discuss the contract, which will likely be after the season ends. Between this interview, Mertens' love for the city and the fact that his son was born there... I think they will get a deal done. There's definitely a different vibe with this negotiation compared to the Insignia one. According to Giovanni Scotti of Il Roma, De Laurentiis offered him a one year extension at 2 million euros net, which is less than half of Merton's current salary of 4.5 million and no bonuses or renewal rights. But according to Il Mattino, the offer is 2 million plus up to 1 million in bonuses for goals and appearances, and the club has a one year option to renew. Frankly, I think these guys are just making things up. I've also seen reports that Mertens wants to better understand his role at the club before he makes a decision in preparation for the World Cup. The last position I want to cover is the Wings. The big revelation from that De Laurentiis interview is he confirmed that Georgian wonderkid Kavicha Varishkelia will play for Napoli next season. I think De Laurentiis exact words were, he is ours. So I suspect they're still hashing out the final details of the contract or perhaps they're just waiting for the end of the season before they make an official announcement, which usually starts with a De Laurentiis tweet. Of course, Vareschkelia would be replacing Lorenzo Insigne. Now, I mentioned a story that's flown somewhat under the radar. That was the news that Matteo Politano missed training and the team dinner on Tuesday because he was with his family in Ibiza. I thought this was a really bizarre story, apparently he got permission from the club to miss training and the dinner, but I'm surprised that he would randomly go off on a trip to Spain in the middle of a crisis like this. This story reminds me a lot of when Kostas Manolas took a random trip in December to visit family in Greece, of course we later learned that he had been sold to Olympiacos. So this makes me wonder whether Napoli has negotiated a sale of Matteo Politano to a Spanish club. Now, I'm doing a lot of speculating here, so we'll just have to wait and see. If he does leave, then a possible replacement could be Fire Feyenoord's Luis Sinistada. According to Corriere dello Sport, Napoli are following the Colombian winger. He can play on both wings, but like many of the players we are linked to, there could be a lot of competition for him. So that is where we'll leave it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at ForzaNapoliPod. I'll be back in a few days to review the Sassuolo match. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre.